0: So I was struck by the reading, I think it was yesterday at midday prayer by Angelus Angelus (coughs) Anisius, where he says, I do not believe in death. I do not believe Earth, it's either you're in, it, in um, ev- evasion of it. Either either we are avoiding it and we're denying it. Saint Benedict says, of course, you should keep death always before your eyes. So, what does and all the uh, monastic traditions and other spiritualities insist that we should remind ourselves of death memento momentum or part of any spirituality. So what does he mean when he says, I don't believe in death? I think he means he doesn't believe in death as we commonly understand it and fear it. Why do we fear it? Because we think it is extinction and we don't understand it. Or we uh, we have created it, we've created a monster out of it. Like a child, you know, is terrified that there's a monster or a bogeyman hiding in the cupboard or under the bed. So I don't believe in death. And he explains that and he says, I haven't got the text, but something to the effect, every moment is a dying. And if I enter into this dying, I am always born into a richer life. Not exactly pretty, pretty close to what he said, I can't remember So here we have a, a I think a great theme to take us into contemplative Christmas really. Um, And today, we start the retreat on the death of the old year. It's not on the 31st, according to the stars. Uh, This is the the shortest day of the year. I think it's 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, And it's the longest night. And Christmas has always been associated with the rebirth of the sun in ancient mythology. So, there is never a birth that that is not associated with death and, this is why he doesn't believe in death, never a death that is not associated with birth. And if you've ever been in a place, which I hope you have, of utter despair, and convinced that everything you'd hoped for, everything you planned for, everything that was good in your life had been just demolished, evaporated, destroyed, evacuated. And in that moment of the darkest point, okay, the the longest night. Uh, there, there is a, a longing for extinction, there is a longing for death, that really is death as we fear it and imagine it, which is just a complete turning off of the power supply and uh, eradication of ourselves, because it's just too terrible, too painful to agonizing to to endure. So that's the agony, that's the, the passion of Christ. And it is part of every human life, <coughs> if truth were to be told. And perhaps also we could even say it's part of part of uh, the life of cultures as well, and peoples sort of racial in a common job. Let's try and be, could you just close the door and so, um, so, we can even see this uh, happening, I think, we can see a kind of a death wish in our our culture in some ways at the moment. So there's a there's this experience, inevitably the desire to just get it over with and pull the plug and end it. That's to one degree or another part of the human condition. And but. And sometimes that does overwhelm us, overwhelm <coughs> individuals. A lot of mystery. And yet uh, we can also see in that longest night something else—a light that you almost wish wasn't there. Because if you've got this light uh, that making that film clockwise where um, John Cleese is a, a dark comedy for right It's about this uh, a very, very compulsive, controlled headmaster of a school in England, and he's going off to a big conference. And he's, he's everything in his life is organized, but to the second. Do you remember that one? It's, okay. it's very funny, I should watch it. Every, every moment is organized, and in control of everything. Running the school like a factory and he goes down to the train to get on the train, and uh, he gets on the wrong train. <laughs> He's put on the wrong train. And then, like in the Greek tragedy, everything begins to fall And he makes wrong. his speech on the train. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah. So he does, everything goes wrong. So by the, and then at one point, you know, then the police are chasing him because he met one of his girl students who was playing truant, and she had a car, so he made her take him by car, but then somebody saw him getting in the car and the police thought he was touching his coat, so everything began to fall apart. And then he, at the end he's driving over this muddy field, uh, still trying to get there, and then his car gets stopped and uh, he gets out of the car and trudges through the, uh, the field until he gets to, he finds himself outside the walls of the monastery. <laughs> <laughs> and there are all these sort of polygraph type monks with their hoods up digging uh, in the garden. So they take him in, and uh, they're sort of quite nice to him, they're all a bit weird. And, uh, then just, and they give him a hot bath, he's lying in the bath, and he, he gives up. He just says, nothing more I can do but like despair. And uh, he's lying on the bath, and then he hears the sound of a car starting, and he, <laughs> <laughs> he begins to think, oh. uh, and then he says to himself as he lies in the bath, it isn't the despair that hurts, it's the hope. <laughs> so there is this hope, Like it or not, it's there, it's it's built into us, it's the spirit, it's our nature, it's the Atman, it's the the true self. And um, even in that longest night, and maybe in some ways especially in that longest night, uh, it becomes um, perceptible and you can see it and feel it. And then if you trust that, If you just, you don't even have to trust it, you just have to stay with it. You can't trust anything except the feeling of total failure and total collapse. So it's not about making an effort of the will to trust it so much as just hanging in there until this light of the self, the light of Christ, uh, begins to bring about. Birth out of the death that you've just been through. So death and birth are inseparable poles of the cycle of life. You want to be alive, and then says, uh, "If you want to come into this community, this community, if you want to come in, follow this way of life." Do you really want to? Do you really seek God? Are you serious about this? And if you do, the, 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 the key question is, do you want to be alive? Do you want life? Or do you want half-life? Do you want to be sort of in this uh, indeterminate uh, space? half alive, half dead, still crawling out of of what can become a comfortable sort of despair. And that's, although sometimes this isn't a matter of choice, but that's what depression is. It's not that you're not saying you're, you're guilty because you get depressed. But that is, in a way, what depression is. It's getting stuck in this birth-death cycle and getting stuck uh, before the birth happens and and stopping the birth. It's like a (coughs) long delay. So that's that's the question, really. Are we on the side of life? But not just a half-life, but the full life that Jesus identifies himself with. I have come, not to judge the world, but to heal it, and I have come so that humanity may have life in all its fullness, all its fullness, never over. And that, now, at Christmas we focus, the mystery of Christ, we focus on this little squib of a newborn child, but the fullness of life is present in that child, just as the fullness of our own destiny was present in us, potentially even at the moment of conception. The incarnation took place on March 25th, nine months before Christmas Day. But uh, the full potential of our life is present in Uh, in the first instant of our coming into being. This is, these are a couple of few lines from Rumi. I've come to a desert where love appears. My heart is like a vast tablet of light. An ocean of agony drowned it again and again, but it became a warrior after being martyred a hundred times. The swells and storms of destiny imperil every, every being. the swells and storms of destiny imperil every ship but in this sea of peace all find safety at last so there's a typical Rumi description of this dying and rising martyred a hundred times in this ocean of agony but through that As the letter of James uh, describes it, you get toughened up. Your character gets formed. You become a mature, more or less psychologically integrated person. So you become a warrior after you've been martyred a hundred times. And just as a ship has to deal with storms and uh, and rough seas. Uh, nevertheless, it comes into the sea of peace, where everyone finds safety at last. There's another poem, um, famous poem that he wrote, which also describes this in another way. Very the Christian language, anyway. The grapes of my body can only become wine. After the winemaker tramples me, I surrender my spirit like grapes to his trampling, so my inmost heart can blaze and dance for joy. So Strangely, we should keep this uh, in mind as we reflect on the birth of, of Jesus. And because the, the baby who was born in Bethlehem is going to die on the cross in Jerusalem and go through a lot of suffering. So birth brings death. <coughs> Death, if you hang in there, will inevitably bring you to life. richer life. and so birth comes through death. You know, even even the physical uh, the physical conception and that was often done in test tubes, but the the, the meeting of the egg and the sperm uh, happens naturally in a sexual union and uh, after the orgasm and the sexual orgasm and that's as was often called the little death the orgasm of the little death because in the orgasm you know Die little, and but it also comes about the, the birth, not just the, not just the initial birth or conception, but the birth itself. <coughs> uh, nine months later for human mammals, uh, comes through the suffering of, of birth, birth process, uh, birth pains, birth pains. Some births are easier than others. But there's always a risk to the mother in every birth. So birth also follows a long period of formation, the gestation, you know this miracle of the embryo forming in the womb. and uh, you know Steve couples who. It's just been to have, you know, when the mother's just been checked and they've done an ultrasound where you see this little mm-hmm. squib sucking his thumb in, in the womb mm-hmm. and the, the wonder of this, but also the fragility of it too. Mm-hmm. The great power of force of nature, cosmic, this cosmic event that's happening in this one person and yet uh, the delicacy mm-hmm. and the tenderness and and the fragility of the fear, you know. And when you see parents with a newborn child, um, you see this fantastic joy and feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment and nothing else matters. But at the same time, it's the beginning of a lifetime of fear and anxiety for this, this child. So birth follows a long period of formation and you can't it can't be achieved. It can't be achieved unless you submit to that formation process. There's no way yet for speeding up the time, nine months in the womb. The scriptures, especially St. Paul, often uses this image of birth and formation to describe our life in Christ and the meaning of Christ in human history. And St. Paul describes it in the letter to the Galatians in this way. I wish I could be with you now. Then I could modify my tone. As it is, I am at my wit's end about you. So it's typical of St. Paul. So he has this, this profound insight into the, into the mystical formation of Christ in the individual and in the community, but at the same time he's talking to this particular group of people that he preached the gospel to and who were getting unruly and forgotten what he taught them and going backwards, back to the old law, back to the passions of the past. And you hear his, his parental anguish about that. So I was thinking about what, how this might apply to our experience of community. Community is is a place of formation. We come to community because we want this formation. We need it. And it's a free choice. And you're free to stay or you're free to go. Without this freedom, there is no formation, real formation. So there are four elements I thought we could could think about. One is about the community in which this formation happens. One is a common teaching, that there is a particular teaching a particular uh, vision, or a particular a particular practice as well, a particular character to every true spiritual community. Now, if that becomes obsessive and, and exclusive, and you've got a cult that a Christian community is able to be particular, specific, and invite us into its its process and its wisdom, while at the same time expanding your horizons and making you see uh, the big picture in which this is happening. Paradox, there's a tension there. But to be information in a community involves a connection, a commitment in a sense to that common teaching. And it's not only conceptual, it's lived. And so the community shares that teaching in its way of living and in its meetings, itself. It's self-investigation as it, as it meets and talks, as we've been doing recently, and uh, reflecting on this together. And are we living this teaching? How should we live it? You know, in these circumstances, these things have happened now, how are we best going to do this? So there's an obedience. It's also an obedience to each other. As, of course, the Benedict uh, constantly says, so there's a common teaching, and we are obedient to that. We listen deeply to it, and we, f- and we engage it. The second element would be a common life. And we've been talking a bit about rhythm of life and routines. We have our timetable. You know, uh, there's a view of just arrived will probably say, well, what your the timetable it is for here, two months, you'll be be saying, well, you know, maybe we should have the day for for 1218 or 1215. So, uh, and that can be changed, of course, these are not divine divine revelations. But on the other hand, there has to be, uh, there's there's no rhythm, there's no routine, which is necessary for a common life unless everybody buys into it and everybody comes and they come on time. Observance. Again, free. Free. So, the rhythm and the routine as it is observed in our daily life. Get it up in the morning if you can can't, then you you, you can't, and people accept that, or if you fall, if you oversleep, okay, you oversleep. Nevertheless, there is this community formation works in you, and the purpose of community formation is the formation of Christ in you, ultimately, because we are in this aspect, observing the common mind. Then there's a common interiority as well. Within that community, there are different you know, aspects, different circles of community, as we were calling it the other day. Uh, people with, who are there for, you know, with an open-ended uh, mind, uh, and those who are there for a specific period. But nevertheless, in the appropriate uh, part of that spectrum, there has to be a common interiority. That means a trust. A spirit of, of of respect for confidentiality. And Without that, there's no none of that intimacy and trust that human beings need in their common life. And the other element I would say is common transcendence. So it would be a very inward-looking, narcissistic community if it was just, you know, just these elements. But uh, as Peter Born said of Jesus, a man for others. The very centre of his being was this otherness, this other centeredness. <coughs> and so any community in which that kind of formation can happen has also, somehow or other, to integrate and balance, not easy, the spirit of service. We're a centre here of peace. That's nice. You can just put an electric fence all around the uh, the grounds of Bonvo, and do not enter. So then we can cultivate this peace. Although we might end up uh, something else. But we're not only a community of peace. We're for peace. We hear. To do whatever we can to bring peace into the world, maybe through hospitality, maybe through retreats, maybe through uh, the work that we do, of course, as the, the heart of the world community. So the great loneliness of our times is, is uh, has to be taken into account. This is probably. It was unknown. I mean, human beings have always been lonely. But this great loneliness that's erupted in our modern culture, we have to take that into account when we think about community and the formation that takes place in community. Because it's different. Even the last 50 years it's changed. So we live in a time of hyper-individualism, consumerism, choice, 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 choice. You buy everything, you can buy your education, you yeah. In Georgetown, I, I, there was a student who wrote to me and said he wasn't going to be able to come for the first four classes. So I said to the dean, I said, well he's gonna it's ridiculous, he's, he's, you know, he's gonna miss four classes, he, sh- he shouldn't come. She so said, no, you can't tell him that. Because he's paid. Uh-huh. So he's bought the course. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I don't like the sound of that Okay. He said, well what you can say is you think it will be highly unlikely you'll get a good grade. <laughs> 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 and then you'll pull out, which is what he did. <clears throat> that's the mentality, if this, is this education, is this what you know, learning from a teacher is about? So we've got this hyper-individualism, this commercialization of everything, the digitalization of relationships, we, so much of our relationships is digital. Great, you know, we can know what Catherine is doing when she, time she's gonna get back and we can say we're with you as you go through this operation and so on, but you know so much so much of the emotional inner life of our relationships is now mediated through uh, through Facebook or through um Screams. what screen screens yeah. Uh, The same is true of sexuality. There's a lack of embodiment, you know, and um, you could say even in the intellectual area, there's a great search for knowledge. Rather undisciplined and, you know, Google or Wikipedia, but, but there's a search and hunger for information anyway. But how can we learn and know the deeper things of life without being known? That's at the heart of the Gospel. I will know just as I am fully known. That's the foundation. And that's what community is. In community, you open yourself and it's a risk to being known by others, and you can't live with other people without them knowing you. See? So you either half let them know you, or you, 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 you live in this sort of semi-closeness, semi sort of or you say well, okay, they'll know me. my uh, thoughts, they'll know my compulsions and they may know some of my, my secrets. So, but there is no knowledge that is worth talking about without surrendering yourself in some way to being known. And that's The formation of Christ in us. So there's an attraction to this and also a a resistance to it. We're attracted to it because we know deep down in that place where the light shines that um, this is life in its fullness. This is what we've got to do. This is how we have to be formed and in our being formed, psychologically, emotionally, healing of our problems, healing of our past uh, experiences, and coming into the light, that in that process there is this combination of knowing because we are known, and that's what we do in meditation. We're not just trying to know God in meditation as if we're Sort of seeking enlightenment with some, you know, uh, Satori experience, you know, then you get somebody to give you a certificate to say you've had this, this, this enlightenment experience. I don't think that's what it's about in any tradition, any true tradition. That the knowing of God cannot be separated. From allowing God to know us. If we go into meditation thinking we're seeking God, we're, we're, we may be making progress, but very slowly. And we may even be going in reverse and thinking that we're really great mystics, or great meditators, and great contemplators, and great teachers. But if we go into that time of meditation, Allowing ourselves to be known by that light that shines in the dark, then the, the, the true knowledge, true gnosis, true knowledge uh, comes. Be still and know that I am God. So there is an attraction to this formation process in community. Um, but there is also a resistance, and therefore you have to push. You know, and then being at a birth, he's not a human birth, but you know, in, in films you can see them say, push, push, <laughs> tell the mother, push, get the damn thing out, push. So in the way that you've got to have that, uh, you've got to be prepared to overcome that resistance. And there has to be this, Commitment to the birthing process, to the formation process. You have to push it out. and that's the discipline. Um, that's the discipline. That's what Benedict means by discipline. It's not restraint. It's not. It's not, uh, it's not uh, a suppression or repression. It's. Uh, it's if you are doing the discipline in a free way, in a healthy way and in a mature way and supported by others then that discipline is not passive it's, it's an active engagement pushing out of a new life uh, and a new birth and it's also a faithful commitment to the process you know faith is going through all the stages, every stage. No relationship, no marriage, no, no... nothing in our life can achieve its destiny or can become fully formed unless we are committed to the formation process through its ups and downs through its dark times, through its, its uh, poor times as well. So, just listen to a little bit of rumouring and we can share it for a few minutes. <coughs> I've come to a desert where love appears. My heart is like a vast tablet of light. An ocean of agony drowns it again and again. But it became a warrior after being martyred a hundred times. The swells and storms of destiny imperil every ship. But in this sea of peace, all find safety at last.